This is Mitchell. And this is Malik. And, and welcome, welcome to The, the Art, Art of Washington. Washington. All right, here we have Baltimore City mayoral candidate, TJ Smith. Yes, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Pleasure to have you indeed. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So I guess we're going to go ahead and just jump right into the questions. Yes. And our starting question for you, sir, is what, I'm sorry, why are you running for mayor? Our city is in a very, very tough place right now. We are seeing things that we've never seen before in the history of the city. And it's time for like a non-politician to reset things and remember what the whole process of being an elected official is all about. And that's to really address the needs of the people. And it shouldn't be about the person. It's really you serving the community. So I actually quit a good paying job. A uh, great opportunity that I had because I was pulled towards doing this and I felt like it was just my calling. It was just my time. I wanted to do what was in the best interest of the people of Baltimore, a city that you guys have grown up in and I've grown up in and, you know, see a better city for people. Um, when I was coming up in the 80s, yes, we had violence, but the violence was different than what we have now. I could walk to the store, walk to school, take the subway train and buses and do whatever I wanted to do with not a lot of fear of something happening to me. But I think today a lot of people are concerned when they just walk out the house to even go to their car. That's different than what I'm used to. So I want to get in and reset things and really focus on you guys, the kids, the students. We look at what's happened with schools and the schools that have been underfunded and the opportunities that they had. Really, if you look at the school system and you look at the educational system, the failure in education is what leads people to a life of crime in a lot of ways. So we have to really get focused on that. So that's just some of the reasons why I decided I wanted to run, because I don't want any parents to feel the loss of their children. Right. So you refer to yourself as a non-politician. What does that mean? I've never been in elected office before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some. this is the thing. So you have politicians who make a career out of being a politician. Like some people, that's their only job. They went in to work under a politician and then they became one themselves. And that's what they end up doing for the rest of their lives. For me, I think when you get caught up in that cycle, sometimes you forget what it's like to be a, quote, regular person. I've had a whole career, and I know what it's like to be on the outside of this. And, you know, having been a union member, I know what it's like to have someone represent me. And there's things I want from you, things I want you to do. So, you know, in in school, you think about your student government association or what have you. You want them to represent your needs. If they are in the principal's office all day long and aren't addressing the things that are important to you, you start to question, what the heck are you in office for? We want you to address this agenda. So that's part of the reason why I say I'm a non-politician because I haven't been. I don't plan on being. I'm not going to make a career out of this. I'm going to do it for the time that I'm allotted, that I'm afforded to do it. And I'm going to walk away while it's still good um, because I don't want to be a politician for the rest of my life. I want to be a person that helps people. You hear people say servant leadership. We actually have to do that and be service to the people. Of course. Um, 
So I want to talk about our last three mayors for a minute, mm-hmm. being the Germany for mayor. Um, one question we have for you is, our last three mayors have been corrupt. Nope, 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 nope. I want to correct that. I, I have to correct that. And the reason why is um, our last three mayors all have had their challenges, but two of them have been convicted of corruption. One wasn't. Stephanie Rollins-Blake was not corrupt. She left office on her own. She wasn't forced out. Two others were forced out. I just want to correct that because it's no, unfair no. to her. Absolutely. She's lumped in because she happens to be in the middle of two mayors who did do corrupt things. She didn't do anything corrupt. Um, I think what happened is the riot happened under her. And this is my personal opinion. Um, There was a big moment of leadership where people had an expectation for her to do and act in a certain way. And that might not have come across, but I believe that she trusted who her police commissioner was to make decisions at that time. And there was a failure in, in, in leadership there at that moment. But I don't want to intertwine her with the corruption of her predecessor and her successor, because they're the ones who had to go into court and plead guilty to criminal acts, which is a big problem. Back to your question. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, the question I had for you, I guess, um, I mean, the statement you just made is, what would make you, I guess, stand out as a, as a mayor? Right. Well, what would make me stand out as a mayor and an ethical leader and an ethical manager is, this is... These are things I've done through my whole career as an adult and in my adult career, I should say, um, where it comes rather easy to me to do the right thing for people and not even think about corruption, think about stealing from people. It's, it's like not in my DNA to even consider something like that. But I'm a regular guy. Um, I'm here with you guys. I'm not here with an entourage. This is important to me to be here with you guys. This truly is. I, I told some members of my staff I was in meetings all day, and I said I have this I have to go to, and you know you guys can't vote for me, you know. Um, but that's not what's most important to me. If you guys can learn something to me, that's more important than you voting for me, because we have to remember who is the next generation that we're trying to hope doesn't become that generation that we're dealing with now that's committing the crime. So we all have a role and responsibility to play. And I think our elected officials have become so distant from regular people that people don't feel like they can see, touch, and feel them, and they feel like they're superhuman individuals that I want to bring back that. I want to reset the clock. When I was growing up in the 80s, uh, William Donald Schaefer was the mayor. And there was a particular moment that I remember. There was a Baltimore sign at the the city-county line on Route 40. And we went over with him to do a beautification project where we were planting flowers around that sign. And I remember him being out there and how he interacted with us. And that stands out. That was probably 1983 or 84. And it stands out to me because this was the mayor of Baltimore taking his time and it wasn't a bunch of security that was not letting us go up to him and all and I feel like we've gotten so far away from that and we need to just when I say reset we need to reset and remind officials public officials what their job is Um, I was a police officer police commander for a number of years and I used to tell young police officers when they would come into the uh, profession remember what you took this job for because days were be tough. 
But remember what you took the job for. You sat across from um, uh, an interview panel, and when they asked you, why did you want to be a police officer, you said to help people. Remember that and go out there and do it. And I tried my best as a police officer and a police commander to do everything I could to help the communities that I worked in. And that was rewarding enough for me. So I thrive on that, and that's what I thrive on, to see people see a better day. And nothing was more rewarding for me in my career than seeing somebody I might have locked up for drugs or violence or whatever it might have been, and then see them succeed in life. And there was no prouder moment for them than to come up to me and say, look what I'm doing now. And, and I've befriended some of these folks over the years because that's all I want for you. I don't want to have to arrest you. I don't want to have to send you in front of a judge. I want you to do right. And some people, it takes a little longer. So I want to be mayor to help put our city back on the right track and not embarrass us the way we've been embarrassed and put our city on the right track. And we need a role model. <laughs> people need a role model in this city. Yes. Yeah. So you personally are very outspoken about gun violence in this mm -hmm. city. And um, my brother was actually shot and killed um, la uh, two years ago, 2018, May 6th. And his killer is still roaming mm. free on the streets. So my question to you is, how do you plan on stopping completely or at least significantly reducing gun violence in this city? Well, I'm sorry to hear about your brother. My brother was killed uh, almost a year prior to your brother. It was July 2nd of 2017 when my brother was shot and killed here in Baltimore. And sadly, too many of us represent that fraternity of knowing someone who has been shot and killed. I had a cousin in 2003 who was killed on the streets of Baltimore. It is moments like that that you never Ever, ever forget. And as we look at the city and we look at the pervasive violence in 2019, over 1,000 people were shot and or killed in the city of Baltimore. That is unbelievable and outrageous. And we say, how do we fix it? Well, the guns that come into our city aren't guns that are stolen from gun shops or because people break into houses and steal the guns. Of course, that's some of them, but the majority of them are being smuggled into the city. And until we really address where these guns are coming from on those upper levels, then we're going to continue to have guns in our city. However, we also have to hold the offenders accountable who are committing these crimes. There was a broad daylight murder in downtown Baltimore next to the Baltimore Arena um, in the middle of a weekday, workday, right on a light rail um, uh, stop and a bus line, major line. And I, I, uh, I was at that scene and I did a live stream video and I said, the person who did this, the person who's bold enough at one o'clock in the afternoon in downtown Baltimore in a heavily uh, traveled area where there are cameras, where there are people, is not doing this for the first time. We have to hold people accountable who want to wreak havoc in our city. To break it down for you, I mean, uh, again, we can all think back to our time in school and we knew who the troublemaker was. We knew who, the troublemaker's the troublemaker. They get kicked out of class or whatever, go to the principal's office, they come back and we know they're gonna act up again. And normally if there's a disruption in class, it's not the quiet person who never gets in trouble in class. It's not the person who rarely 
rarely gets in trouble. It's the person who normally gets in trouble in class. The streets operate the same way. The person who's wreaking the havoc on our streets that's committing the violence that we're seeing is the person who is normally doing it, and they continue to get opportunity after opportunity. I believe in holding people accountable. And the people that need to occupy jail cells are the people that want to kill your brother, my brother. And I'm sorry that you haven't gotten closure for that because that's a big problem in and of itself. And that person likely has repeated that act of violence again. Once you do it and you're over the hump of doing it, you don't have any problem doing it again. And that's really um, a sad situation that we're dealing with. Of course, you have to look at the fact that Going back to what I was talking about earlier, the education piece of what we're doing to make sure people have critical thinking skills and they're growing up and they're graduating at a 12th grade level, not at an 8th grade level or a 6th grade level. They're graduating at the grade that they're in. We have to hold schools accountable to ensure that you guys are walking out of here with the, the resources that you need to get a job and have a productive life ahead of you. If you aren't, you're gonna do what you have to do to survive, which could include hurting people. So you're a strong advocate for rehabilitation, especially within the prison system. Oh man, um, so, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I, I recently put out a crime plan, and part of my crime plan is the behind the walls treatment. So the people who are in jail, we know that they have a high propensity to commit crime, right? We know this because that's why they're in jail. If we're not giving them any sort of resources for when they get out and come back to the streets, we're only setting them up for failure. So just as much as you walk out of school, you graduate, whether it's fifth grade, eighth grade, or 12th grade, it's because you've met a certain level of proficiency and you're ready to go on. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? And you're ready to go on to the next level. The same thing should exist in, 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 in jail. You've met a certain level of proficiency and we're ready to send you out back out back into the community versus you've done your time if you the parallels are actually scary we have people who go to four years of high school who just come and do their time and they're not ready for the real world and that person struggles in the real world right we have people who go do their time in jail who go after they do their time they get out and they're not ready for the real world. And what do they do? We know this. If we know this, let's do something about it. So knowing that people who are in jail are at a high risk of being a repeat offender, we should be investing in them and providing them with skills so when they graduate from jail, they're walking into a job, and if they're walking into the job, the statistics prove they are way less likely to commit a crime again. So you mentioned the parallels between school and mm -hmm. prison. So do you have any plans for education reform in Baltimore City? Education reform is necessary. We're all watching uh, as uh, leaders and uh, as uh, uh, political figures, so to speak, the Kerwin Commission as we go through our General Assembly here in Maryland uh, to see what these what recommendations end up going into place and how much money is put forth. But one of the big things for me is what outcomes and what accountability standards are going to be in place. We're going to allot money to schools. But that 
doesn't matter if it you, you think about this just use this as an example how many famous people have you seen that made all this money and end up bankrupt if you didn't teach them any skills as to how to spend that money it doesn't matter how much money they had they spent it all and they're broke and it's a joke for them and they have to file bankruptcy or whatever and they lose everything if we're just giving money to the schools and we have no accountability standards we're essentially bankrupting bankrupting our, our kids because we don't have an accountability standard so uh, education reform um, however you want to state it is really about the accountability and outcomes that we expect with this money that we're going to give to the school system to ensure our children are meeting the standards or have the resources that are necessary I was uh, in a meeting recently and a man had, uh, I, uh, had toured one of our 21st century schools, right? Toured the school, and he um, uh, went to the computer lab. And they didn't have any computers in a computer lab of the 21st century school. Brand new school, no computers in it. And he relays to me the bureaucracy that was in place of why they couldn't get the computers in the school. And it's this adult bureaucracy that has nothing to do with the children. And the people who are being cheated out of the opportunity to use these computers to learn are the kids. And I look at stuff like that and say, how is that possible? It's things like that. Are we, the, 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 the computers are available, the, the resources are there, but it's a bureaucratic process and impasse. And he showed me the pictures. It wasn't just a rumor. He showed me the pictures of this beautiful new room that had all these nice individual desks, all these wires connect, uh, sitting out there connected to absolutely nothing. That's a failure that we have to adjust. We can't have that. So it's, it's really, if you look at some stuff, some of the stuff is simple things, but we also have to look broader and say, how much money are we allocating for trauma and counselors for what our young people in Baltimore City especially are experiencing on a regular basis as they just navigate through school, uh, navigate to school from their communities. So, um with regards to that, um, as far as schools, or do you have any plans on supporting uh, any things with the arts, specifically mm -hmm. schools that are looking for extracurricular yes. and that need help with funding or I'm, I'm, whatever I'm, the case may be? Another great question. It's, it's so crazy how I think we still focus so much more on sports and student athletes, which is very important, than we do on what back in my day they were called electives. I don't know what they're called these days in school, but they were called electives back then. Art, you know, um, photography, whatever it might be. It, 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 you look at the schools in Baltimore that are still the traditional citywide schools, and they're still the same schools. I was fortunate enough to be accepted into one of the best schools in Baltimore, which is Poly, Baltimore Polytechnic Institute. Um, and those people who went to city, they got their second choice because all of them wanted to go to Poly as well, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> but but I was fortunate enough to be accepted into Poly, which is uh, is deemed a college preparatory school. The passing grade in the city school schools at the time was 60. The passing grade at Poly, however, was 70. You fail a class at Poly, you have to go to summer school. You fail a class at some other city schools, you go, you take it over the following year. The standards have to be changed, first of all, to ensure everyone's getting an equal opportunity to get good education, right? But when we look at the opportunity to go out there, 
if, if, if you can get a child connected with something, whatever it is, dance, drama, podcasting, photography, that's going to distract them from doing things that might get them in trouble. So I'm a huge advocate of more stuff to do. It, we should have opportunities that young for young people to learn how to cut hair, braid hair, do hair, do nails, etc., do makeup, you name it all over the city. Not at specific schools in Northwest Baltimore and you live in Southeast Baltimore and it takes you two hours to get there. It should be all over Baltimore. The School for the Arts is a, a, a world-class institution and you have to work very hard to just get your foot in the door. But if a kid who lives in Northeast Baltimore doesn't have that opportunity, the opportunity should be somehow available to him in different ways at a community school and, and and in their his or her community, so the the more I'm I'm I'm, I'm such a firm believer in I, and I have to come up with a better way of saying this. I say the more positive distractions that you have, um, the more you're going to uh, focus on that music, whatever it is. If you don't have any of this stuff in front of you. You're going to be influenced by the streets. You're going to be influenced by that. And you're going to go out there. You're going to do that. And we ha- that's what we have to work to avoid. I'm, if you're busy enough, I used to tell drug dealers on the corner all the time, if you go to work and you're working a good 8, 10-hour day, you got a family, you got a child or whatever it might be, um, you're going to be too tired to want to stand on this corner. You're not even going to have a desire to stand on this corner. We have to provide the vehicle so people are too tired to want or, or don't even have the desire to stand on a corner and sell drugs. But if it's not appealing, then it's not appealing. But we have to meet people where they are. And, and one of the things is, how often are we bringing young people together from a cross-section of the city from different experiences to ask them what they want and how it could benefit them and their friends? Do you have any kids yourself? I have a seven year, well, he's seven now, yeah. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> do, you, do you feel safe sending your child to school every day? Uh, you know, as he grows older, I actually get nervous because he, my son is a boy. My son is a boy. That's uh, redundant, right? <laughs> um, uh, I have a, a son, and I have gotten. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna tell you 100%. No doubt, I am completely nervous of him growing older to a point where he has the independence to hang out with his friends. Absolutely, I'm petrified of it. Petrified because of the influences of this world. Um, Yes, I'm petrified. Um, I, I am. It's, it's, it's scary. You know, um, I wanted a son badly. And as my son grows older, I'm petrified of raising a young black boy who I want to have independence, but I know what he has to face. And it's, it's scary. It's, it's really scary to think. I mean, I think back on some of what I was involved in as a child that I would never, ever tell my mother. And, you know, some of the things that I encountered as a child and, and as a child, I'm talking under the age of 18, um, things that I encountered, man, it, it's, it makes me oh, just worry to even 
think that my uh, my son, you know, is going to be a grown a growner uh, child, and and he's going to have to navigate through decision making. So yes, and and I don't think most parents would disagree with me, but mm-hmm. it's. It's heightened when you're in this area as well, but I'm 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 a bit petrified. I mean, you know, it's my baby, so you know, yeah. <laughs> what school does he go to? Uh, he goes to a small school, so. So I guess our final question for you, sir. Final question already? Ah uh, no. Uh. Our final question would be: Is there anything you would like to relay to the city of Baltimore? We can do better. Uh, we must yes. do better. This city is called Charm City because of its charm. We can keep its uniqueness and its neighborhoods and its cohesiveness, but we have to be really focused and serious on what the problems are that we're dealing with in our city. We have to be really focused on bringing world-class education to not specific schools in Baltimore, but to all schools in Baltimore. And that's not just a, you know, thing to say because I'm a candidate for mayor. My mom has been teaching here for 36 years, and I know she's given her all to educating kids. I do believe that some kids are special and and have a little bit more of a gift for certain things, and they take off, and they shouldn't be held back from taking off. At the same time, the kids who need a little bit of extra support and guidance should be provided that, and we should be uh, making sure most of our kids are graduating proficiently. Um, at twelfth grade, is so much opportunity in this in this city, um, and we're being held back by our own demons, and that's demons of violence. And we can't ignore the fact that we got here through things, through a lot of things, redlining, segregation, you name it, that has really hurt our city. But we can't keep talking about those things without addressing those things and really focusing on trying to make us a better place to raise a family. I, it, it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, I, li- I had the uh, opportunity to live in the city and the county. I lived in Anne Arundel County. This is pretty funny. Pretty funny story. I was a young man at the time in my early 20s. I was living in Anne Arundel County for a little bit. And I remember getting off work one night about 10, 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and everything was closed. And I had a mental breakdown at night because I'm not used to that environment. I'm used to an environment where something open and everything was closed and I wanted some soul food and there was no way to get it where I lived. And, and I made the decision to move back to the Baltimore metro area <laughs> at that time because I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm just driving me crazy. But I say that to say, people want to live here. This is a great town that people want to live in and we have such great promise here in Baltimore. If you look at where we're situated, in between D.C. and Philly and New York, you can get there quickly. You can go take a meeting in New York and, uh, tomorrow morning and be back before dinner time. You can't do that in a city like Detroit. Detroit is a city on the comeback who's been through so much, like Baltimore has, but it's situated in Detroit. Who the heck knows where that is even? It's way out there somewhere and it's by itself. We're in a great place where you can get so much accomplished and so so many people want to live here, but we have to be so deliberate in making sure we get it done. And it's a it's a heck of a challenge, 
but we have to be focused. And it goes back to the very first question, um, one of the first questions about being an, a non-politician looking at it that way. A non-politician can look at it and make decisions that aren't based on the political career. You're making decisions that are in the best interest of regular people because you're just one of them as well. Right. So earlier you said... Um, no, he said last question, so no. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, earlier you said you quit your well-paying job mm-hmm. in order to pursue mm-hmm. this uh, career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if it's appropriate me asking, what mm-hmm. was that... Job. Of course, man. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's perfectly okay. I worked for the Baltimore County Executive. Um, I, I was out there, and I had a, it was a good job. It was a good gig. Um, you know, I knew exactly what I was responsible for every day. Um, I could do my job basically with a blindfold on. Um, you know, I challenged myself in different ways, but I had to make a decision. I want to do things uh, with the utmost integrity and ethics, and I didn't think it was right to have that job while I was weighing the decision to run for mayor. And I decided to follow my faith and and I said, I'm going to resign. It was a tough decision. And I'm going to look into this thing more and I'm going to make the decision. And, you know, some people think I'm crazy, but... Um, you know, when you're a Christian man, a man of faith, people do think you're crazy sometimes and don't believe. I believe in me. I believe in, you know, if, if it's not meant to be, it shall be. So I'm not like losing my mind that I don't have a job. But 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 it's also an important lesson here because I don't want to lose track. Like, you know, just go quit your job. <laughs> I never had the opportunity to leave college or high school, whatever, and just do something and take a risk on something. Uh, Younger people I'm envious of sometimes that take risk and do stuff. I didn't have the opportunity to do this. I looked at this point in my life where I'm going to go ahead and take a risk, but I also made good financial decisions when I was 21. And that's a very important note for young people. And this is stuff that should be taught in high school and and certainly in college. But in high school, you should learn this stuff. Made some good financial decisions. Made some good. So when you all turn 18, I want to pass this lesson along to you. You turn 18, you get a credit card. Pay your credit card bill on time. If you have to take a cash advance to send it in to pay your credit card bill, do that. Because if you keep good credit, and you hear hear city governments talking about a AAA bond rating, it's their credit score of their city, how much they can borrow, debt ratio, all that stuff. The better your debt is, um, or the better your credit is, the more you can demand stuff. I remember, I'm, I'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent here, but this is an important life lesson here. I remember going to a car dealership and they took a long time to come out and ask me about my car. And he came out there finally. And I said, you're going to really have to give me a good deal because I plan to buy a car today. And y'all didn't come out and address me. And he's still being a little bit arrogant. I said, man, go run my credit. And I treated him like, you know, I, I was getting a little bit ticked off because the way I was treated. And he ran my credit and I had over 800 credit score. And he comes back out with a perfectly different attitude. So what car do you want? We can put you in this finance but oh yeah no 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 you tell me what kind of deal you're gonna be able to give me my point is you can demand so much more if you keep your credit straight and um i don't even know what the original question was now because i, I <laughs> went off on a tangent what was the original question let me let me get uh, back what was the track. original question 
What was the original? What was the, we didn't forget the original <laughs> what question. What was the original but, question here? But, but the point is, um, it, it, let's just go back to responsibility and things that you learn as a young person that you can turn into adulthood. And we have to teach that. As, you remember? Yes, it was, what was your job? What was my job? That, we got <laughs> that, that was the original question. Right, yeah. and, and you know wow. what? I think I got off the, the tangent when I was talking about making financial decisions that allowed me to leave my job to do this full time because I'm not getting paid. So you had to map out. And, and, and this is why I said it's important. So if you want to be a third 30-year-old who wants to jump off the diving board and do something crazy, what you have to do as you're leading up to that is you say, you know what, I'm going to try something. Make sure you put yourself in a financial situation where you can try it, where it's not as of great personal risk to yourself, and you can do it, and that's one less stressor you have to worry about. So fortunately, I made some decisions early on in my career, and one, this is important as a school child is perfect attendance. I had relatively perfect attendance at my job. I never really, I never took sick leave. I wasn't the person who called. I was like, felt guilty if I called out sick. So I never did it. And I had all of this leave uh, accumulated, which allowed me to retire um, and get extra time and get extra money as a result, which uh, put me in a position today where I can, you know, support myself cost me money and trust me I'm probably going to need a job if things don't work out in this mayoral thing but it allows me to take a risk and that's important so set yourselves up that was a long answer to why did you what would you own a job job? listen go off on all the tangents you need that's great so what would you say was the final straw or the determining factor Mm -hmm. or yeah to make you quit your job and just and run for mayor just go for it Mm -hmm. that's that's another excellent question Question. So, uh, the former mayor before the current mayor was uh, Catherine Pugh. And when I left the Baltimore Police Department, I was there um, and I left in 2018. Um, uh, as I did media interviews, they want me to talk bad about the current mayor. No, I want what's best for the city and I want her to do well. Um, as time went on, things weren't getting any better, and I was still thinking about it at that time. And then, next thing you know, she gets indicted and she has to resign from office. I'm like, wow, okay, well, that's interesting. So then the next mayor takes over. Same thing. I want what's best for him. Um, I sent uh, him a message. Uh, I'm rooting for you. It looked good. I said, okay, things are going to turn. Then I saw things go back to being politics as usual. When things went back to politics as usual, I said, you know what? The city is uh, deserving of something better and the city is asking for something better. So I'm, I prayed on it, prayed on it, prayed on it. And here's the interesting thing about prayer. We're in a school, so I know y'all have to have that separation of church and state or whatever, but mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about prayer. Let's so, do it, I'm all for it. So, so, so prayer um, ended up being uh, something for me that I prayed where pre-making the decision, I wake up with a pit in my stomach. Like, I, 
One day I'm for it, one day I'm against it. Then one day I woke up and I knew the answer and I was perfectly good with it. And I haven't turned back since. I haven't had a regret since. And I, I don't have any regrets. I'm, uh, you know, when I made the decision to, um, when I made the decision to go ahead and do this, um, I was content with what the outcome was gonna be prior. So I'm good. I'm, I'm being led by faith and I'm gonna keep on going. All right. All right. You sound pretty confident. Yeah, hey, hey, you know, that's all you can be. And you have to start by being confident in yourself. Um, if you're not confident in yourself, no one else can be confident in you. So it, it really, I look at it as, as, as part of why I'm doing this is I'm giving the people of Baltimore an opportunity to vote for an outsider and a person that's never been in political office before because that's what the people of Baltimore say they want. We are tired of the same old, same old. So I said, you know what? I have a level of respect. Um, I have a level of influence. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you that option. God has put me in a position to do it. And guess what? Should I fall short? I'm going to be okay. I'm, because I'm not a lifelong politician. The lifelong politicians are the ones like, oh, so what's work? What does that mean? You mean I'm not in elected office anymore? I'm not that guy. So not being that guy makes it much easier to pick up the pieces and move on to the next phase of life, whatever that might be, if you're not selected by the people to be the mayor. So there it is. <laughs> All right. What else you got? You got any more questions? Feel free. <laughs> Ask anything. You know, okay. You know, I got the time. Let's free ball. Um, Good. <laughs> uh, what schools did you go to? All right. Um, so I went to Callaway Elementary School, Falstaff Middle School, um, Polly for high school uh, for ten, uh, ninth and 10th grade, Woodlawn for 11th and 12th grade. <laughs> I went to community colleges in Baltimore County. I went to Johns Hopkins University and uh, got a master's degree from Johns Hopkins University and a master's degree from Washington State University. So what that equals, not to brag about two master's degrees, what that equals is a lot of student loans. <laughs> and yeah. debt. Yes. So you do have experience within the city and, you know, mm-hmm. what yeah. it grew. Yeah, grew up here, um, lived in the city, uh, lived in the county, but yeah, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. So one question I have, um, you did state that you lived in the county for a while, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if you um, had a statement on like the city county school difference, mm-hmm. like this the what you see in city schools versus what county schools are. Right. But should I say privileged with mm-hmm. so forth? So I was wondering if you had a so. Uh, I only had two years of county school education. And when I got there, it was a bit of, it was a different, it was a culture shock because I didn't know anyone at Woodlawn when I transferred there. And it was a bit of a culture shock because it was different. I mean, just, 
you know, even just school lunch, that's probably like the biggest difference. It was a big difference. Um, it was also a big difference just from a school safety standpoint. When I was in school here in Baltimore, uh, we couldn't go to our lockers during the day at Powley. We couldn't carry backpacks because of the violence, unfortunately, with people carrying guns to school. So we had to carry net bags and things like that. And I remember at Powley, we went to our lockers in the morning, midday to switch out your books, and then after school. Um, at Woodlawn, it was every through you know every class. It was a totally different world. So it was getting used to that process. You know the yellow buses versus the MTA buses. So some significant differences on that. From an education educational standpoint, it was different for me again from a high school standpoint. I don't know about middle school because I wasn't there, but from a high school standpoint, poly the education level was so strict and so high. I, once I got to Woodlawn, I really didn't have a lot to do. I had to meet their standards, which was taking uh, English. I think I had to take English and then electives. I don't think I had to take any, like, I was done my science and math because I was already doing, you know, 12th grade math and 9th and 10th grade at Pali. So I was already done that stuff. So... I saw some differences, certainly, um, but I, I, I really, I don't know as much like today um, how, how different it is. Um, I mean, I guess I can say you look at one of the programs that existed in Baltimore County, it was scaled back a little bit, but it existed. Every kid had a tablet in elementary school there, you know, and we look at it and I just told you we have a school that doesn't even have... Um, computers in their computer lab in a 21st century school. So things like that. But I don't want to make it seem all school systems have more than they can do for students. Uh, But Baltimore City School, we used to have a thing back in elementary, middle school, when we got our books we would go straight to the back of them and see what the stamp in it was, what year they were received. And this is in the 80s, and we would have books from the 60s and 70s. That's crazy. And then when we get the new stack of books that come in, I remember it was like, was it tapestry and stuff like that? I know some people who might hear this uh, will remember that. We get the the new books in a box, and it was like the first time we get them, they yell at us, we had to put book covers on them. Y'all still use book covers? Y'all ain't know what that is, do you? (laughs) So we used to have to use book covers um, because you borrowed the books. And in order to keep the book um, usable for the next year and 20 years from now, you put book covers on them. Oh, our books look terrible. Well, back then... We don't have... One of the ways you could buy a book cover if you wanted to have some fancy book cover on it. And then I saw they started having the ones you just, you know, put them in sleeves, but you had to make your book cover. But we used paper bags from the supermarket and you, um, you know, you cover your book, put tape on it and you cover your book. Um, but that that was what it was. And I mean, this isn't so long ago, but that's what it was. We had to uh, cover books. So you look at that and say, we all have a lot of room to grow. To ensure, I guess nowadays, I mean, y'all, how many textbooks are y'all really carrying around because all the stuff on the internet? Um, so the internet was like a new thing. I didn't have an email address in high school, so there, there's that. Yeah, yeah or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, yeah. none of that, right? <laughs> AOL came now. out. Um, I think AOL was out in the late '90s or something. So I was out of high school. Mm. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. 
So would you say you're a strong believer in some of the more extreme precautions to prevent school shootings, like um, metal detectors at the front door, arming armed security guards placed around the school? Or would you say it starts outside of school, for instance, at like home life, which may lead to school shootings and things like I that? I mean, all of the above. I'm not a real big fan of the metal detectors at schools. I mean, it's just like... It sucks that we've come to that, right? But I do believe, I mean, I think here in Baltimore, it's really ridiculous that school police can't have their guns. You guys know that police. It's like uh, show and tell or, um, or career day. The police officer comes in and he has a gun. Uh, that's the life. We have people who believe that it's traumatizing kids to see a police officer with a gun. I think that's laughable. Um, if my child is in school and there's a police officer there that has a gun and somebody wants to come in and shoot up the school and that police officer can stop that person before they shoot up uh, my children or any other children, that is exactly what we want to happen. Um, you know, they, they, these these myths and these things that have happened, we've had way more school shootings than we've ever had police officers who work in schools shooting children. That hasn't happened in Baltimore, and we've had people come in schools and do shootings. That's a problem. So I'm a huge proponent of safety. Really, it's it's really basic safety where we have to start using technology that's really inexpensive, the cameras and the surveillance systems, the, the door locking mechanisms, et cetera, to ensure kids are able to get in and out of school safely, but you're not able to just walk into a school. Um, our college campuses are super vulnerable because you can just walk on to them and, you know, but it's unfortunately the way of the world. Um, of course, the outside world plays a role in that, but really, we have to make sure we can control what we control and that's the school uh, itself, the building itself. So you'd say it, it, would be, it would be traumatizing to a child to walk through a metal detector every day or yeah i'm not a big fan i just i mean it's like it's invasive um it's i don't know that you're i don't know if that's the best deterrent based on the problems that we have a metal detector the the kid is it's funny i mean a dave Chappelle uh comedy special that you guys shouldn't have watched but um, <laughs> but the Dave Chappelle comedy special, he talks about how uh, he's at my son's school. They they're doing the 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 shooting uh, uh, training, and he said, I don't know why the kid that's going to shoot up the class is in there with them. So the safe location that they're going, the kid that's in there with them is the one that's going down there with them. So he knows the whole drill. So you know if you have these. Um, these deterrent effects of a metal detector. The the person that's gonna shoot him to school is likely a student and knows what security measures are in place. That like they know huh, the school uh, police officer doesn't have a gun. So they know this. And, and we can look back on the many school shootings that have occurred and see that the person who did the shooting was a student there. So we just got to be smart about it and stop being so, you know, passive with things, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. All right. Good. We have any more? 
Um, I think that covered about everything. Cool. If you have any final remarks, yeah. feel free. Well, first, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate y'all doing this. Um, of course. You guys are young leaders, and y'all have to take that and honor it and remember it. Um, and it's a responsibility. It sucks when you get that on your shoulders, but it's an awesome responsibility because there are people who are going to look to you for leadership and opportunity, and you have to bring them along, all right? Don't turn your nose up at people who need a little bit of additional help or additional support. Uh, each one, teach one, and maybe we can reach one. And we can all do this together. So I appreciate y'all guys for having me. I appreciate this conversation, and, you know, let's try to make Baltimore a better place. Yes. And certainly we do appreciate you for coming, yes, um, for taking no your time to have this conversation with us. So we do thank you and we do support you and we do hope that you prevail in your journey. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate y'all. And this is Malik. This is Mitchell. And this has been The The Art Art of of Washington. Washington.